Welcome to Werewolf the Podcast, a retrospective podcast about Werewolf the Apocalypse. Imagine. Imagine Atlantic City. Imagine HLGCon. The boardwalk. The beach. The hotels. The casinos. Imagine an old hotel, renovated, restored, open to the public in a way it never was before. Now imagine a series of quirky, intense, and interesting event rooms. Imagine the coolest bar you've ever wanted to host a LARP in. And that's the showboat. HLGCon is happening October 12th through the 14th of 2018 in the Showboat Hotel and Resort in Atlantic City. We'll have LARP, tabletop, board games, and more. We've struck a deal with several LARP studios to run a blockbuster LARP, Pandemonium, that'll be unlike any other event in 2018. Find us on the web at hlgcon.com. Come join us. Imagine it, and we'll make it a reality. Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Heath, and today we are going to talk about the Black Fury's Tribe book. This is the first printing of the Tribe books, and we're going to dive into that in just a second. But first, I want to tell you a couple of things that are going on right now with, um, with White Wolf and with the Storyteller's Vault. If you're not aware, the Storytellers of Vault is a community content space where if you're a fan of a particular game, you're going to be able to write your own supplements for the game lines, uh, for the classic World of Darkness game lines that you are interested in creating for. So this past week, I released two, actually three books, four books, (laughs) it gets bigger and bigger, that I had developed with um, High Level Games, which is one of the companies that I work for. I'm the Chief Operations Officer for High Level Games. So the first of those books is Dark New England, which is a 252-page Vampire the Masquerade supplement focused on New England. It's a little bit of an update of Dark Colony, and it also digs in and provides a lot of information that no other World of Darkness book has ever produced for that space. The second book is a book called Descendants of the Three Sisters, which I wrote with author Lisa J. Elwood, and I recommend digging into that if you're interested in the Native American content from Dark New England, because we've expanded it out, given some pre-generated characters, and provided all of the background story and things like that for characters in, um, the Native characters that are in the Dark New England setting. I also produce a group of books called Beckett's Vampire Folios, which are companion pieces to the Beckett's Jihad Diary, which is a V20 supplement, but it's also a tie-in to the Vampire 5th Edition rules. So I wanted you to be aware of, of the fact that those things are out there, that they are being created, but also, more excitingly, if you're a fan of this podcast, is that Werewolf the Apocalypse is going to be opening as uh, an opportunity for content creators this coming week. And I had the opportunity to write a short module chronicle setup called Welcome to Purgatory, which is actually a Werewolf the Wild West story, and it's designed to be modular so that you can put it in 
any location you would like to in your Werewolf the Wild West game. So those are some of the things that I wanted to highlight before we dived into the book. The other thing I want to highlight is that High Level Games is running a Kickstarter right now and for our convention. High Level Games is running a convention in Atlantic City, October 12th through the 14th, and I really recommend that you check out the Kickstarter if you're interested in advertising your game stuff that you're producing. If you want to come to the convention, check out the Kickstarter. You can buy some ticket elements there. There are some opportunities to um, get a chance to game with some of our guests of honor that we're running through our Kickstarter. There are some other elements like that that I really think that you'd be probably would be interested in checking out. And some links for those will be uh, put in the doobly-doo on the various forms of, um, of ways that you will get our particular podcast. So you should be able to find those in the show notes. That's the nicer term for the doobly-doo. And let's dive in from here. Now that I've rambled for a couple of minutes, my captive audience, thanks very much. We're going to talk about Black Furies. And I want to talk about what the tribe is in the framing of this particular tribe book. Now, it's been a little bit since we did a podcast because I actually recorded an entire set of podcasts for the first three tribe books that we were going to be reviewing and the entire thing got corrupted. So here we are doing this again, doing it a little bit differently this time because I think this might be a little bit more effective. Now, by the numbers, Black Fury's Tribe Book was written by Phil Rucato with some assistance from Judith A. McLaughlin. And there is some research that was done on Greek terms by Ellen Brundage. It was developed by Bill Bridges. It was edited by Heather Bryden. Some of the art was, or the cover art was done by Tony Harris, and the comic art was done by him as well. The art director was Richard Thomas. This book came out in, I want to say it was 1994, but I'm reading this in a collection called Litany of the Tribes, Volume 1. So I would recommend, if you're interested in these first versions of these tribe books, I don't want to call them first edition, they're second edition books, these first versions of these tribe books, I would recommend getting them in the Litany of the Tribes collection. So let's talk a little bit about what the Black Furies are supposed to be as a tribe. Well, one, they're ethnically connected to Greek tradition, and in doing so, White Wolf connected them to the Amazon legends, which have some Greek provenance. The actual location of the Amazons was a little unclear. It didn't appear to be in the Greek islands uh, or the Greek peninsula. Um, the Grecian Peninsula, I should say, to be, you know, to use words correctly. And this is going to be a little bit of a rambly podcast. I'm not going to do a ton of editing because I want to put it out for folks to uh, get something new. Like I said, there hasn't been anything new from us for a while. So who are the Black Furies beyond that? Well, they tie into the Amazon myth by being a female-only tribe. They do have some male children, of course. Those that are kinfolk stay within the tribe. Um, Those that are not usually get adopted out. Now, in the early versions of the Black Furies, they are 
pretty much second and third wave feminists. And this conversation will dive into feminist theory a little bit. If that's not your thing, that's fine. That said, you have to understand some of the elements of feminism to understand who and what the Black Furies are, who and why they act certain ways that they do. And I emphasize their second and third wave feminism elements because unlike current what we call fourth wave feminism, there is a bit of a focus on exclusion of trans women within the tribal thought processes. And this gets changed, this gets altered a little bit as the tribe is kind of understood and looked at later on. And I think it's important to note that this women-only focus uh, is a really powerful thing. It speaks to something that I think is really useful for us to look at from the werewolf the apocalypse standpoint. If women have the capability of standing up for themselves and fighting against the patriarchy, fighting against men that harm them, will they do so? And if they do so, how does that make them... How do they then interact with males afterwards? What sort of things happen in that, uh, that sort of environment? And I think it's very good to point out that yes, some Black Furies may be lesbians, but not all of them are. But because of the tribal focuses on a war against the patriarchy, a lot of the a lot of the relationships are shifted. The power dynamics of the relationships are shifted. And I think that's a really positive thing. I say that's a really positive thing to then note this, and this is something that I have a slight frustration with. There were women working for White Wolf in 1994. I would have been a little bit more interested to have a woman write this particular book. And with respect to Mr. Brucato, who is an individual that I know is a feminist that I respect a lot, this is a, this is a book that would have really resonated strongly from a woman's perspective. And the Black Fury tribe, when written about, I think should be written by women. And I think that gives it a little bit more authenticity. And that said, I think, you know, Satiros, another name for Mr. Brucato, has done a really good job with this book. This is actually one of the first books that I picked up and said, wow, I think there was a lot of there was a lot more going on here, a lot more opportunity here than to tell in more in-depth stories about about women's issues and about women facing violence and about women, you know, uh, committing violence back against men that are harming them and what that means for women, how women can stand up and own their own power and authority and what does it mean to be a woman and I say this as a cis man understanding that I'm never going to truly understand what it means to be a woman in these situations so that's the essential one of the essential questions for the Black Fury tribes is we want to fight against men that are harming other women including women within the Black Fury tribe, and how do we do that within the context of fighting the greater war against the worm? And there's a sense within the Black Fury tribe that the patriarchy is a manifestation from the worm. That is not something natural, 
And if you look at the Garu worldview, which is Gaia-centric and Luna-centric, those are two female deities. They are feminine creatures that gave birth to the Garu that they have to fight for. And though I could go off into a discussion about Roman myth and Greek myths and how that actual focus is more patriarchal and less feminist than we would want it to be today, that's neither here nor there. Enough to say that from the Black Fury's perspective, the patriarch is an element of the worm. And in the first chapter, chapter one, Sisters of the Moon, you learn this history from the Black Fury perspective. Talks about the witch hunts. And the witch hunts, for those that may not be aware, witch hunts that happened in the 1500s and 1600s were much more about controlling women than they were actually a fear of the supernatural. And there's something really important to reflect on there within our own society today that if we look around and see the way that some of women's freedoms are being demonized, this is a very similar thing that was happening at, in the era of the witch trials, and that's spoken to within the Black Fury tribe book here. So if you wanted to run a historical game or a game that focused on Black Furies within our modern day, and then you had them connect to past lives, you could bring them back to an era right before uh, the witch trials began and show them how some of these things are a cyclical problem that people have to deal with and that to be honest, that men often bring to the forefront and women have to fight against and allies of women have to fight against. In the Black Fury worldview, they see themselves as the only ones that can actually fight against these things. Occasionally, they'll reach out to other tribes, the children of Gaia, uh, perhaps even the Geta Fenris, who they have a major issue with, but some of the women within the Fenrir they have connections to some other women within the various tribes they'll connect with but still they have a problem with the overall patriarchal system within the Garu nation which is again understandable from their perspective in chapter two we dive into some specific sections or specific groups within the tribe and i don't know what's with my phrasing today or with my particular pattern, but we're just going to roll with it. These groups, these circles is what they're called within this tribe, are the different camps. Um, you have the Amazons of Diana, you have the Freebooters, you have the Order of, Her, Order of Our Merciful Mother, you have the Temple of Artemis, the Sisterhood, the Moon Daughters, the Bacchanets, and you learn that the types of things that the Black Fury's focus on are all generally the same, but told through different angles. Told through what does it mean to be a mother in that relationship? What does it mean to be a magician or a witch or someone with magical power? And as a woman, what does that mean? And a lot of that, and then what does it mean to be a woman that's in control of her sexuality and her desires, which are the Bacchanites? So there are these connections to lean into 
that are both empowering and interesting to dig into and understand and try to see more of. You also learn in here that the only men that are actually allowed to be Geru within the tribe are the Metis. And there are some contextually interesting elements there, but the tribe do see the Metis of their tribe as an exception to their concern with men being Geru that are worthy to stand alongside the women that are in charge of the tribe. And you could say that that is potentially because they are men raised completely within the tribe and then therefore they reflect the ideals of Black Fury society. You could also talk about disability and how disability allows someone to be uh, more empathetic to um, to other people's oppression and what that might mean. There's a lot of story stuff that can be uh, explored there and it's not specifically clear in this exactly why and how these things uh, that why and, why and how the Metis are allowed to be within the tribe. But there's stuff that you could look into that is developed more uh, in future books and things to think about. In these tribe books, you get more details on the specific types of moots that a specific tribe holds and their understanding of the litany. And each specific tribe understands the litany a little bit different. And we'll dive into the first one. You know, Garu shall not mate with Garu. And it says, Many furies break the first of the laws, the prohibition against sex with other Garu. Contrary to belief, we have not all forsworn the company of man. The drive of woman to man is a natural thing and not always a bad one. I would advise, though, that you refrain from loving a male Garu. Such unions bring nothing but shame and suffering. There's layers there, but the layers there are interesting to... Note that the Black Furies, of course, understand the problematic elements of this law of the litany, recognize some of the problematic elements they have with how they interact with, um, with men and how women interact with each other within the tribe. And then they say, you know, it's okay if you are a heterosexual woman within our tribe having sex is not a bad thing. Having a relationship with a man is not a bad thing. But remember that you are always in control. The woman is always the powerful figure within their tribal view, within relationships that they have. I think that's good. That's something that we want to be able to explore in a role-playing game. We want women and men to explore what, what strength of self does and helps develop for someone out of role-playing into your own life. And I think that can be a really powerful thing. One of the um, other elements that you get in this tribe book that ties into some of that is the structure of the, of the, tribal, uh, the tribal structure that runs the tribe. And in the Black Furies, you have both the outer and inner calyxes, which are the Geru that are in charge of making decisions for the tribe as a whole. And it's interesting to note that 
the Black Furies and all of the tribes see the triad differently. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, the Weaver, Worm, and Wild, every tribe thinks of them the same way, but of course they don't. Every tribe sees them differently, both from their ethnic cultural lens and the lens of how that particular tribe creates, understands, and develops its own identity. And for the Black Furies, they see everything through that lens of, of feminism and that lens of if we are female, if we are women, what does that mean for us? And those things are both different. Being female and being a woman are different things. One being sexual um, identity and one being gender identity. And it's already possible to see in this book how those concepts are kind of understood a little bit differently in what they might mean for the tribe in the future and how they get more developed. And they see the worm as a manifestation of the man, of, of men and of the patriarchy, and they see the patriarchy as a manifestation of the worm. And that helps to contextualize the things that they would focus on fighting. In the comic at the beginning of the story, you see a black fury kill a man that is hurting other women. And doing that sort of defense of women is absolutely understandable within their tribal worldview, and they would go out of their way to do such things. Moving from what the tribe is and what they do within the context of this book, in the first appendix, which is on page 41, so it's this book is small. It's like 60 pages long. So for page 40, you get rituals, you get new totems, you get new fetishes, you get some more merits and flaws, you get things that help you focus in on the particular tribe and what their um, particular focuses might be. You also get, in the second appendix, templates for the different characters. And for anyone that's read any of these books or listen to a few other podcasts that focus in on the template options in the various books, these are really, really useful because these give you basically a pre-generated character that you can grab and start playing if you wanted to. And there are some interesting concepts in here. There is at least one of each different type of woman that is an element of the Black Fury tribe. You have the missionary, I think, is one of my favorites. The way she's written, her concept of the goddess and Christianity and what that might mean and how that interacts with her identity as a Black Fury. Just a really interesting character. Starting character, you could grab her and play right from the book with these characters. And I believe there are four. There are still enough characters here for you to pick one and play them. There are also some major um, NPC characters. You get some information on Mari Cabra, who was already introduced in the second edition core book. You've got some of the other major NPCs of the tribe and a specific character sheet that is based on the tribe itself. That it, it says Black Furies at the top, and that's something that you can photocopy. You can find Mr. Gon's copies of the character sheets online and make your own Black Fury um, and have it be branded that way. 
Hello, folks. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts, or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, one which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want? Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called White Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there. So I want to talk a little bit about what you could do with storytelling for Black Furies. One, if you are playing with a man that wants to run a Black Fury, there's nothing wrong with doing so. I want to note that if you are a man and you are planning to run a character that is Black Fury, try and do so in a way that doesn't focus on your understanding of tropes of women, that instead tries to create a holistic character, that tries to create a woman that recognizes her own inner worth, that reflects that connection with the world, and sure, she might have trauma. Lots of people have trauma in their lives. Lots of Garu have trauma in their lives, but th- those are not the only things that I that are at the core of their identity. The Black Furies are interesting because they have at the core of their identity the sense of being a woman, the sense of their connection to Grecian history, their connection to the Greek diaspora around the world, and their identity as werewolves. And all of those things rotate around one another. And the woman's individual life experiences will be at the core of that orbiting sense of identity. And so you should focus on what has happened in this woman's life. How does she understand her connection to Gaia and being a werewolf? How does she understand her connection to her tribe? How does she understand her connection to men and the patriarchy within the world around her? And from there, you'll be able to create a realistic character that happens to be a Black Fury that interacts with all of these other intersecting elements of her identity. And if you as a storyteller are telling stories about the Black Furies or four characters, four players that are portraying Black Fury characters, you want to give them opportunities to interact with all of those elements of their identity. But try to be subtle about it. If you're telling a story about elements of the patriarchy, you don't want to cause extra trauma to women that might be trying to fight against the abuse that they have faced outside of the table within a context at the table. So let me be a little bit clearer there. Don't 
put a woman in a sexist situation just to put her in it because she's playing a Black Fury. Don't do that to your women players in general, please. But in uh, this particular sense, if you're going to be running a scene where a Black Fury character would interact with blatant sexism, ask the player first about their comfortableness with those sorts of topics and how to present them in a way that their character and them as a person would gain something from doing that. And if you can do that, if you can find that middle ground of knowing that, yes, this is the reality that women have to face, and yes, the Black Furies have an opportunity to fight against that within the game world, you don't want to ham-fist that in a way that causes more trauma for that woman that is having to deal with those issues on a day-to-day basis. And maybe they want it to be a lot more subtle. Maybe they want to just fight, kill, and be considered a part of the werewolf pack and leave it at that. And never overtly interact with sexism within the context of the game sessions themselves, but just the very fact of portraying a powerful, realized individual who can fight against the forces that are otherwise trying to oppress and reduce them, then that gives them an opportunity to feel that empowerment and allow that to bleed out into the real world. Which, to me, is something that is beneficial about role-playing games and something that I think we should encourage those moments, encourage people finding those moments of empowerment within the play at the table. So, if I were to give you three hooks for the Black Fury tribes to use, one I would use is Magadon Pharmaceuticals. Magadon is producing a new version of the birth control pill. However, this particular birth control pill by itself is not problematic, but if a woman is taking one of the folic acid supplements that Magadon also produces, it may potentially give them small amounts of worm taint. So that could be something that one of the Black Furies in your game smells on a kinfolk. She smells that and she's concerned about it and then has to dig in and figure out where, where that worm taint is coming from. After doing that investigation, they find out what plant is producing the pharmaceuticals and they can destroy it. One of the other stories that you could dive into with Black Furies is a group of, let's see, um, a group of white supremacists potentially are moving into an area that a Black Fury sept has control over. And the Black Furies want to stop them from infiltrating, and they discover that there are vampires at the back of this group that are supporting them. And so they go and they destroy the vampiric influence, and then they have to find ways to deconstruct that white supremacist group's control over the area um, that they took from them. Another interesting thing, the last suggestion I have maybe for a story to touch on with the Black Furies is going back to Greece. Perhaps you have a whole um, group of Black Fury player characters 
that have never been to Greece, that are part of the Greek diaspora around the world, and they are coming back to the islands, and they have to understand what, or the peninsula, I don't know why I keep calling Greek an island area, it does have islands that are off the peninsula, but they have to rediscover what it means to be Greek within the context of being a werewolf and being a black fury. And you can touch on some of the major NPCs in this tribe book as a way of helping tell that story. So that would be my three suggestions of story hooks to use for the Black Fairy tribes. And this is going to be something that I'm going to try to do in all of the episodes moving forward. This is giving you some story hooks to build concepts around. So this has been the latest episode of Werewolf the Podcast. We have reviewed Black Fairies. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to give some feedback, please do so. I am happy to hear that feedback.